Welcome to another episode of Pleasantly Persistent, hosted by Rooted Food Sales. Um, today, it'll just be me, Christy McGill, our VP of Sales, as Matt Cotton has abandoned us for the beach in Puerto Rico. Um, and we have with us today, Eram, and I'm already realized I'm not going to be able to get all good. Skip the last name. <laughs> From Maverick, which is a transparent CPG sales agency. Um, I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, and then what you're doing today at Maverick. Sure. Um, I'll start with my my full name, Iran Glashman. Um, super pleased to be here. Thank you very much. Um, my background is in sales. I've been working on the sales end of the CPG industry for more than 20 years, um, ran the sales team for a couple of large organizations, saw a huge opportunity to improve what third-party sales agencies do, A, and then B, um, really my passion is around people and the growth of talent and how that has impact on the outcomes of the brands that we work with. Those two things obviously match quite well in building a sales agencies. So that's what uh, we've done, that's what I've done. Um, so we started Maverick Sales four and a half years ago. Uh, we're a category agnostic sales agency. We work across the board with basically every single major retailer in Canada in a multitude of categories from food and nutritional to Hava is a big chunk of our business. Prestige Beauty is a big chunk of our business. Um, we're brand and talent centric, as I mentioned talent before. By brand centric, what I mean is we start our thinking and our work from the perspective that we're responsible for the national plan as a whole. And so that allows us to contribute to the operational and financial makeup of the brands that we partner with. Um, so that's really what's critical to us um, and allows us to serve different brands with different approaches, depending on what their needs are and facilitates that category sort of uh, breadth that we work in. Yeah, I love that. I, I came from the brand side. So, you know, going to like from being brand side, which you were, and then coming to like being a service provider, having that perspective of kind of being in the seat of the brand and being able yeah. to provide that type of service, I think really makes a difference. Um, how big is your team? Uh, so our direct team is 13 people right now. Um, but if you include our partner resources, which I can talk a little more about if, if that's important, but uh, we, we have a very strong partnership approach to make sure that we can leverage all the right resources required, which from the brand side, you would recognize quite well as well. Um, so including all of our direct partnership resources, we exceed 25, almost 30 people. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I was really intrigued um, to hear you talk about you know, kind of how, and I'm putting my own spin on it, but, you know, yeah. investing in people, mentoring people, working with talent yeah. really does translate over to sales, right? Yeah. Um, good. And I think that gets back to kind of team culture, but what, you know, what nuggets have you found there, right? Like the, to, to, to build a team is a very unique thing. Um, and then to build a service provider team, extra unique, I think, but what have you found to be, I guess, that you really lean into your secrets or what are you looking for to, as you're investing in your team? That <laughs> question has a lot of depth to it. So <laughs> what I think about is a, a few things. So I think about what are some of the core skill sets required um, and how do you encourage and support those both directly through coaching mentorship, et cetera, 
um, but also through training and, and paying for that. Um, because frankly, you can't be the only voice that contributes to people's growth. It, it doesn't work. It, it, it's an interruption on people's journey. Um, the other thing that I think about most is standards. So how do you set a high standard? And how do you demonstrate that that high standard is critical and achievable? Um, and so when I try to navigate how to work with people within my team, first and foremost, but second of all, with people who aren't necessarily within my team, but have direct interaction with the businesses we interact with, those are the things I think about and, and try to uh, in, uh, include in everything we do. Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky balance, right? Like having expectations and standards and probably high ones, I would estimate we're probably both pretty driven, high standard people, but then, you know, providing people with a, an environment where they can fail, where you can help them get there and also demand, you know, high, high results and high standards. Um, I definitely yeah. find that to be tricky at times. Yeah, um, so it can be hard. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I interrupted. I apologize, but I was tracking with you very well. I don't think those two things are disconnected, right? So, so for me, so first of all, I will say with transparency, I think my standards are as high as they get. Um, and I'm comfortable with that. And I'm comfortable saying that to people on my team. Um, but I will never criticize somebody for not knowing how to do something. That is not a criticizable topic, right? So having high standards doesn't mean you criticize people. Having high standards means you set that standard and you expect to be able to get it, but you build an environment where people support the achievement of that standard. People who are new can't achieve that standard on their own, first of all. Even people who aren't new are going to continue to grow, develop, et cetera. And so you need to build an environment where the entire team is oriented around how do you help each other constantly elevate your ability to contribute in order to exceed anybody else's expectations. And you should always, like for me, that's like one of the things is how do you exceed expectations? How do you exceed anybody's expectations? And, and you can do that if you team up well, if you build an environment that you, you sort of started to frame up too, is you build that environment where people are um, supportive of that growth and process. That doesn't diminish having high standards, it encourages having high standards. Yeah, and, and I think for a lot of people, and, and you probably found when you get people in different points in their career too, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. It's good and bad. Sometimes starting with someone fresh is great because I, I think you can like help them build those standards right from the beginning versus having to unlearn what I call poor habits. Um, I've certainly had to unlearn poor habits that I picked up at previous work environments, right? You, you, even like simple ones. I know when I came to, to Rooted, I, I kind of came from a place where everyone was like getting on calls, you know, at the time it started or two, three minutes after that was the environment that I was from, right? And so you pick up that habit, you come over to a new place um, and we're, we're a place where we get on our calls about three minutes before. Um, yeah. And it was like, a, it was like a, a little change that I had to like switch to because where I'd come from, I was doing things right. When I came to Rooted, I was late if I was getting on a call the first time. And I, I joke, you know, because Matt is someone who provides really clear feedback, which I appreciate, right? Like 
there's nothing worse than working somewhere where you don't really know what people think. Um, you know, we say a lot that clarity is kindness. Um, and he gave me that feedback within my first week. Um, I think about it three times a week, every time I go to get in a meeting, even, you know, a couple years in, just because, you know, it's, it's always on my brain, having been a highly, uh, driven person my whole life, right? Like a mistake right. just lingers in my brain. But, um, I'm curious, you know, you, you've probably brought people on in different stages. Do you find <laughs> it easier to start with someone that's just really early and kind of can be molded the right way? Or do you find that someone who comes in with a lot of varied experiences and more background has the ability to maybe reach for more and grow differently? And if I'm putting you on the spot with that question. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, I think the answer is none of it is easy. I, I think the answer is if you want to be a great leader, which I aspire to be and hope I'm on that journey, but you know, uh, um, if you aspire to be a great leader, it's always going to be hard. And if you want to build a tremendous organization, it will always be hard. And I'm comfortable. Yeah. So it's not about it getting easier for me or how to have things be easy or who is easier, who isn't. It's about how do I adapt my approach, my ability to contribute to individuals within the team to facilitate their development. So my work is in figuring out how do I best contribute to them, not how do I make sure I get an optimal situation set up from day one, because the reality is you never know. Um, uh, 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 HR, a uh, partner of mine from earlier in my career, a friend, you know, uh, it was such an insightful thing she shared with me um, where she said, your likelihood of success through the hiring process is probably about 25%. I certainly hope my numbers are better than that. I don't think anybody is very honest in terms of how they self-assess with that, because if I did self-assess, I would tell you my numbers are way better than that, because I've forgotten all the people I've had to fire. You yeah. know, <laughs> that sounded way more callous than I meant it to be, but like you stop including that really quickly, yeah. right? And so, so it doesn't really, the, the number doesn't matter. What matters is to acknowledge and understand that the process of bringing somebody into your organization is fundamentally fraught with risk for both them and you, and that's okay. So that you just work with that. And your job as a good leader is to help facilitate, develop, encourage, support, enhance, build the framework that will allow that person to rise on their own based on what they want to achieve and if they want to achieve the things that meet your standards then they're great and they will be part of your organization on a long-term basis and if they don't then they might be great somewhere else but they're probably not great for yeah I, I think that that's been an interesting thing to sometimes assess right like you know definitely have had people that have we've had to move on from both in the role I'm in now and in, in my previous role where I led a sales team um and it can be you know painful as a leader and like you care about people right you want them to be happy and successful some people are not a fit for every organization and that right. truth you know I think you spoke to having high standards I have some pretty high standards as well and and I've had some people where it's like you would be great in a different organization, a different space, a more prescriptive, you know, whatever it is, type of working environment, not this one. Um, and, and 
understanding that about when you're assessing team, right? To go, this person might be a great person, but they're not the right fit for this organization. So they're not going to excel and do their best here because it's not the right fit for them. Um, I think is important as a leader, but also kind of, you know, important for people to understand as an employee that sometimes you're in a situation that just isn't good fit for who you are as a, as a person. Um, do speaking of that, do you guys use, or do you use any type of like in, you know, personality quiz assessments, any type of work style assessments? Where do you, where do you stand on all of those things? Um, I don't stand clearly. <laughs> um, I have done a ton of like, my career. Uh, I find, find them super interesting. But what I have come to believe, and I'm not claiming I'm right, uh, what I've come to believe is that because human interaction is so complex, that the only way you're going to learn how to work with somebody is to want to and try to work with them. And so that there might be shortcuts available from those personalities, things, and there probably are, but the sort of prescriptive headline statements about how you work with people if they're a certain color or a certain personality type, sure, I probably gain something from knowing that. I think at, I think at times, though, it can cloud you, right? Because some people, they can land on whatever letter, color, number they are on those scales and then be almost put in a box from that where you're like okay you're this type of person so I'm going to interact with you this way um personality is very nuanced right I mean I think we used to be black and white about extroverts and introverts and now we realize that people really are more of a blend of those two things um yeah I I did I don't know if you've heard of it I can't remember the exact name I did I think I did one called culture index um in a previous role it's very analytic based um, but I remember sheer terror because I was already in my role and it was designed to kind of match whether you were a fit for your role or not, or whether you were being like overstressed in the role you were in. Um, fortunately it pegged me completely perfect for the role I was in at the time, which was a major woo moment. But I just think that that's interesting. Cause I think sometimes when you look fully at those types of analytics, you end up missing like the person that's there in front of you who maybe doesn't do well in those type of exam test type of personality things and then suddenly you're like they're not a fit for the role but it's like well, you look, let's step back they're actually doing a really great job in this role um so i well, i have mixed feelings <laughs> how to define people's fit for a role based on personality types is like it's really questionable like there are different types of personalities that make for excellent salespeople, right like yes. there's the cliche sort of like go get a like high energy um you know whatever type A yep. personality type of salesperson, there's a huge amount of room in this world for highly analytic, calm, like those are personality types that work incredibly well in sales. Partnership is one of the most important core attributes to being a salesperson. My, like some of the best salespeople I know have wildly different personalities than me like I, I yeah. probably come across it I'm not sure exactly how I come across it I'm, like I'm very exuberant like you know loud my laugh is loud like you know that that's my personality and, and that's how I come in or that's how I am that's how I come in a room but you know if it, there are a lot of environment situations where having a high degree of calmness control like and if that's your natural disposition I can I can I can be that way and I am that yeah. And it's interesting because sure, but... I've 
seen some of those people be the actually be the highest sellers, right? They they right. aren't the stereotypical. I'm very loud as well. Um, you know, you know when I enter a room, um, can talk to anybody, and it's I've seen some people that would be maybe more termed introverts or just right. like a lot quieter, calmer type of yeah. personality excel so well at it because they have other skill sets that come along with that, right? They're usually ultra organized. They're very, you know, focused on data and all those things. So it, it is fascinating because sales to me is just a very wild world, right? What works, what doesn't. So shifting a little towards sales um, and we'll kind of maybe spend the last bit of our time together talking about that. Sure. Um, we always love to kind of chat about like prospecting meetings, those type of things, you know, what, when you when you think of like a, a solid seller, like what is that first step in a sales process going to be? You know, that you want to get in and you obviously I think like us, right? We have tons of relationships already. So it's a little different, but thinking of somewhere you want to craft that's brand new, you guys don't have a relationship with them. How what is your approach to starting that relationship, starting the sales process? Um I think the simplest answer yeah, and most summarized answer is what value are you going to add? That's it. What? Why are you showing up if you're not prepared to understand from their perspective why you're talking to them? If you can't crack that, your likelihood of success is low. Right. Without asking can, like the right questions. <laughs> you gotta listen. Like uh, you have to the the skill like as you develop and grow and all those kinds of things like there's a lot of skill in being comfortable not knowing the answers to questions as you're navigating a complex conversation for sure and you need to be comfortable in that environment to be fantastic at this stuff but but the starting point is you have to be adding value that's it and if you can approach things with humility with respect Right, respect that the other person has their own stuff going on. If they're ignoring you, it's not because they don't like you or that they're disrespecting you. It's that they have their own stuff going on. Yeah, they know? have their own full like, job, right? That's probably yeah, a yeah, fraction of it is buying. <laughs> the, well, their job isn't to talk to you, whether a fraction of their job is buying or not. Yeah. Their job isn't to talk to you. Their job is to grow their business, right? So you have to be able to approach things with the humility of re recognizing that and the respect necessary to demonstrate to people that you understand that. And when you do penetrate, or as you try to penetrate, as long as you can articulate coherently why you're trying to, how you're trying to add value, you'll be successful. Um, timelines are tough. Feedback yeah. is tough. Nose are tough. All that stuff is true. But but for me, do you guys do you guys tend towards do you, do you guys tend towards a lot of prospecting by email? Or are you guys doing a ton through LinkedIn? Do you have a a thought yeah. on how to how, like again you know you're, you're kind of identified someone you really want to build a relationship with would you guys go in on linkedin first would you go in on an email first pick up the phone yeah my my aunt, so first of all i'm a huge fan of the phone um, i love the phone so, i hope it has a resurgence but not for all sellers because we need it to not yeah, be busy <laughs> i mean listen I'll, I'll tell you super fast so i'm a huge fan of the phone for communication period i am a fan of the phone for prospecting but the truth is that your ability to penetrate through the phone is very time dependent in my perspective. I've read lots and heard lots of opinions on like you use the phone for prospecting, like very sort of rigid perspective on those kinds of things. I don't have a rigid perspective on anything when it comes to that kind of stuff. Just don't be lazy. 
Like, right. and, and don't, don't make assumptions that if you don't get an answer, that that means anything. It doesn't mean anything. Yes. A, a silence is not an answer. Silence right. is not a no. Silence is just that person hasn't engaged yet. So yes. that's, going. and I think that that's the trickiest part in that selling process. It's right. You've engaged with someone, you've, maybe they've tried a sample or however that looks right. And you feel like they're moving along your process and suddenly they're silent. Um, and I would be guilty definitely of assuming at times, right. That there's, cause I think people struggle with saying no. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with saying no. Um, so oftentimes I think they do like to just push you and not say anything, but it's not closed right at that point. It, it doesn't mean we've seen so many people come back several months later, right? Cause Oh, the time wasn't right. Um, how do you got, so what do you guys do in that silent little bubble when you land there? Right. Where you haven't gotten a response. You've tried a couple times. You felt like there was momentum here. What is your approach to trying to re-engage? Uh, you probably be better off to ask somebody on my team that answers that question because my answer is like I'll be talking to one of my colleagues and I'll be like, "What are you doing?" You know, like okay. I mean, at the end of the day, you you can't let things drift. Other people can let things drift, but you can't, right? So you can define timelines. So somebody can kick you to the side and say, "I'm not, you know, interested in talking about this right now." Fine, you got an answer. Then you can reply and say, cool, I'll respect your time and come back to you in and whatever feels contextually appropriate. I'll call you back, back tomorrow. To no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll call you back in an hour. It'll be better. We'll be ready to go then. Sounds good, right? So, I mean, but in absence of having some form of communication, the only thing you should be assuming is you haven't gotten an answer yet. Yep. So, like, you know, it doesn't mean anybody should be around on a daily basis about what it and like I there is absolutely value in the type of process stuff that things like Salesforce drive and stuff like that. But yeah. at the end of the day, how many irons do you have in the fire? How do you keep that fire burning hot? That's the job. The job isn't to be hyper focused on like X, like Yes. Yeah. I think it's funny. I was talking with someone on the, I was doing some one-on-ones this morning. I was talking to someone on the team and, and that was kind of our conversation was about, right. Like it can be really easy to get hyper-focused on one opportunity and just want to hammer that until it comes to be instead of going, okay, it's in my pipeline. It's here right now. Let me keep filling in with other things and going after the stuff that is working and warm and moving forward. And I'll come back and check on this one in a little bit. Maybe the time and will be right. And if it is truly the most important, because sometimes it is truly right. the most important, then what? Then spend that time focused on what can you do to adjust, adapt, improve your approach to ensure that you're adding value as you communicate, right? Yep. And there's like that that continuous experimentation. Like again, there's statistics and like the gong stuff, which is cool and interesting. Yep. Like all that stuff matters. You know, if something is 60% true, that means that there's still 40% of the time that it's not, right? Like, that's a lot. And, and so ultimately, like, we're dealing with two humans, tr one two trying humans. to sell, and then exactly. one, one potentially buying or looking at it, right? And that variable will always be a big variable. Like, data, yeah. all of it can tell us a lot about sales, but ultimately, it's how do we understand two this people. other human exactly. and with their flaws exactly. and their busy life, and now how do we bring that together to create exactly. a new partnership? Um, exactly. So before we end, we always like a yep. fun question. 
What cool. is your most purchased beverage and snack right now? So what, what are you buying the most of? Unless that's in a way that you can say with, I know in our work, sometimes we can't favor brands. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. So um, I basically only drink water. Good, good for um, so, you. <laughs> so, I mean, it's practically true. I used to say water and beer, but I'm trying not to drink beer. So, like, I'm basically just drinking water. Um, I don't have, like, a favorite kombucha brand, which would be the only other thing that really yeah. makes it into my fridge on a regular basis. For for me, there's other stuff in the fridge for other folks in my house. Yeah. But, um, you know, you're talking to me, so I'm talking about myself. Um, and snacks. Uh, I eat uh, the most frequently purchased snack I buy is um, it's a farm boy product. Farm boy is really good food retailer here in Canada. It's one of their products. It's an almond, like I forgot what maple roasted almonds. Maple roasted nice. Almonds All right. That are water awesome. and almonds. Yeah. You know, water it doesn't get much better than that. I, right? sound, I sound so much healthier and more focused <laughs> on that than I am. It just it comes. To, it just I, I landed lucky with the question. That's <laughs> so. Well, yeah. uh, it was a pleasure to chat with you. Um, where where can people find you? Where where would be the best way um, for them to connect with you? Yeah, so there's a contact form on our website, easy to find maverickssales.com. Erandolphlackman at maverickssales.com. It's hard to imagine how to spell, but I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and hyperactive on LinkedIn as well. So Maverick Sales, Erandolphlackman, find me. Love talking to folks, love uh, to do the best I can to add value in those conversations. So um, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was, thank it was, you. It was, I felt like we could have talked a lot longer. It was a pleasure, For pleasure sure, having you. Thank you. you.